Now we're going to look at the manifesto of the kingdom, the Beatitudes. Be attitudes. If we split it up, we can see it's be attitudes. How we are. Not what we do, how we are. As I said, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. How we live. How then shall we live? I remember many years ago, we, we had a time in one of the churches that I was in, that we, we spent time looking on how we should live. How do we live? Well, Jesus gave us some clear um, instructions on how to live. He gave us the Beatitudes. And we can see this in Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And rather than me talk all the time, I thought we could actually read it together. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed means more than happy, because happiness is emotion often dependent on outward circumstances. Here it refers to the ultimate well-being and spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. I thought that was a lovely description of what blessed is, because... You know, we so often say, oh, how happy they are. But it's right, isn't it? Happiness is like, it's an emotion that, you know, we feel happiness when things are going well. But God says you can be blessed when you mourn. It's, it's quite interesting that the blessings that we are shown. There are attitudes that we're going to be blessed by. So let's look at the first of those Beatitudes. Well, we will if it comes up. Yeah? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I looked at this first of all, I thought, hmm, what are the poor in spirit? 
And um, because I've got a study Bible, I have notes at the bottom of my Bible. And the note at the bottom said, compare those with people who are spiritually proud and self-sufficient. The poor in spirit are those who have a right attitude, one of humility, not our own importance. I can manage my own way, won't help us into the kingdom. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, actually, every one of us that has become a Christian has actually had to become poor in spirit because we've actually had to say, I can't manage my own way. I need God there with me. We need God to help us. So we've actually admitted that we can't do it on our own. The kingdom isn't a gift. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's not something to be earned. And if we look at the story of the Pharisee and the sinner at prayer, we see very clearly there, don't we, that the different attitudes. You've got the Pharisee that's looking down on this sinner and saying, oh Lord, I'm so grateful, I'm not like him. I do this, I do that, I do the other. I'm wonderful. But the sinner just stood there and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need you. I need you, God, right where I am. And that's the attitude that God wants us to have day by day. It's... Um, it's easy to look at others and say, oh God, I'm so great. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to be humble, to be poor in spirit, and to actually acknowledge that we need him. When I was thinking of a proud attitude, I actually thought of my, my mother-in-law. She was a very proud lady. And she did lots of lovely things. Don't, don't get me wrong, she, she did some lovely things and she was helpful to people, but she would say... I'm good, I do this, I do this. But she didn't see that she needed Jesus and no amount of trying to tell her would have changed her. We need to really know that our attitude with God is right. We need to be poor in spirit. But we don't need to be poor spiritually. I think there's a difference because I think sometimes we can be very poor spiritually. I remember Ray Harvey praying once and saying that we were spiritually bankrupt because, well, I suppose in a way we hadn't got that poor in spirit attitude because we were almost saying we don't need God. There were things that we got on and did, but we didn't really seek God. And yet he, he referred to others who really sought God and, and were not poor spiritually. So we need to know that our attitude with God is right. We need to know that we're actually allowing God to work in our lives. And he can change things. Then if we go on to the next beatitude... Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. And I know when I was younger, I used to think, this is a strange one, you know, because you're thinking of those that mourn. And what do we normally mourn? We mourn the loss of those around us. 
Some of us have gone through loss. Some of us have had to actually physically mourn. And the Bible actually says, weep with those that weep, mourn with those that mourn. And if we haven't gone through loss, we can still share in that loss with others. We can still be in that place. I'm going to embarrass her now because Pat was one of those people that did that with me. She knew how to come alongside just at the right time. She shared in a lot of the going through the grieving process with me. Even to the point when somebody actually told me I needed counselling and I needed help. I actually said, well, there's only one person that's going to do that. And I broke all the counselling rules and I, I had a friend and I insisted that she was the only one that was going through it with me. But she was prepared to stand there and go through that. And we went through some long sessions of, of talking through things. And I can remember at the end of one time, she said to me, you look exhausted. And I said to her, well, you would if you'd gone through what I've just gone through. And then I turned to her and I laughed and I said, but you have, because you've been there with me. She walked the walk with me. She was prepared to walk the walk with me and see me through. And that's what, one of the things that Jesus is saying, you know, be prepared to come alongside. Be prepared to do that. It's not an easy walk. It's a tough walk. I actually did it with somebody and, and I, I found it was really hard because she was depressed. And I found it really tough going through that walk. But, but you know, if you do it, God blesses. But there's another morning that the Bible talks about. In James... I've probably got the wrong... Yes, it was James. James referred to mourning as repentance. Being truly sorry for your ways. Grieve over what you've done. And when you truly repent, God gives you joy. Real joy. It doesn't mean to say that you're going to stay in that place. Because if you just stay in that place, you're not moving on. Do the grieving, do the mourning, but then see what God's got for you. And if you look in Joshua chapter 1, God said to the Israel, said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up and go. They'd had their time of mourning. Their time was ready for moving on. And in the same way, when, when we grieve over the things we've done and we repent over the things we've done, God will say, right, that's dead. Now get up and go. See what I've got for you. I've got something else for you to do. Get ready to move on. There's a call on our nation at this time to repent. We've, we've seen so much this year, haven't we? We've seen the, the loss of finances. We've seen all the, the state of the nation. But, you know, I think it's made people look at the state of our nation spiritually. And there's a call on us to repent. And I'm going to do a bit of advertising here because on September the 4th, in Chelmsford Cathedral, and actually I think it's September the 5th, it's the Saturday, whichever it is, there's a service of repentance and prayer for the nation. And we may feel, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Why do I need to repent for the nation? 
But we are part of this nation, and by default, we have allowed laws to be passed and many things to happen that were against God's will. And I'd encourage people, if you're free, to go to that day to pray for your nation. Daniel was an upright man, and he still said, we repent. He was including himself among those who needed to repent. And I'm going to read some of the things he said, because when I looked at it first of all, I thought, but Daniel was so upright. Daniel worshipped God, and God God honoured him. But this is what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 to 14. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Lord, you're righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel. Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us. And I'm I'm not going to read the whole of it, but that, that is the gist of the whole passage. I suggest you read it at home, because it really is, it shows Daniel was prepared to acknowledge that he was part of that sin. He was prepared to grieve and mourn for the sin of the nation. We're called to repent, and then we can walk as the Lord wants us to. And when we do that, we will have the comfort of knowing that we're doing God's will. The next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This means humility towards God. It's not so much an attitude towards man. Those who hope in the Lord, that is, who trustfully look to him to bestow life and its blessings as a gift. We used to sing, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. And yet... He turned over the tables of the money changers. He was meek. He humbled himself before God. He came to earth as man. We've already sung this morning what Jesus did for us. He came to earth as man. He was obedient to death. Not an easy end to his life, but a cruel, tortuous death having nails pierced his body and every ounce of breath painfully squeezed from him. This was meekness. He did it and he chose to do it because he loved us. He submitted to God. Others may not agree with it, but you need to submit to what God tells you. And when you do, 
you get the joy. You get the joy of knowing you've done God's will. You've been obedient. But it's amazing what happens when you do. Last September, I went to Culloden because I felt God had told me. God had told a group of us to go to Culloden to pray. And recently I heard that Louis Palau is going to Inverness to speak. The churches in Inverness that were disunited when we were in Culloden seven or eight months ago, whenever it was, have worked together. 37 churches have come together to put on this, this event for Louis Palau to be in Inverness. A unity has grown that was not there before. We were obedient, but you know, the joy that gives me to know that something's happening there since we've been. And it's really exciting to know that God's at work. So when you submit to God, when you, when you do what he tells you, you'll be amazed at the joy that you get. It says they'll inherit the earth. God's given us his world. God's given us a kingdom. We're part of his kingdom. We have an, in, an, an inheritance that God has given us. God is blessing us all the time when we submit, when we're meek. Now, it doesn't mean being a doormat and just doing everything everybody says, because that's not always good. But it's doing what God says, and that's the important thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think we've touched on this a lot already this morning. Tim talked about allowing God to break the things in us that are not necessary. What are we hungering for? Are we chasing after material dreams, or do we want God to work more in our lives? I think we've, you know, as I say, we've already touched on this this morning. God has challenged us on these things. What are we hungering for? Are we hungering for God? You know, when, when we look at the other things, the material things will not satisfy our soul. We'll still want more. We often hear, don't, you, don't we? The more you have, the more you want. Well, actually, I want more of God. That's my desire. What fills your desire? I actually looked up the concordance and I looked up references for desire. And there were quite a lot of references for desire. I'd suggest you do the same. If you've got a concordance, have a look at them at home. And just look up the different ones. There's different kinds of desire. But the important one is to desire the things of God. I want my desire to be to learn the ways of the Lord and to follow in those ways day by day, to walk more and more closely with my God, to live a righteous life and not be self-righteous and judgmental. I don't want to be self-righteous, and there is a big difference. I want to be righteous. I want to do things the right way. I don't always, because we all get things wrong. I get things wrong. But that's my desire, to be more and more like my Lord. 
the next one. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. And I looked up the word mercy in the dictionary, and one of its definitions was having a disposition to forgive. Having a disposition to forgive. And we're told, if you're merciful, you'll be shown mercy. What happens if we're not? Well, Jesus told us a parable about an unmerciful servant. He was forgiven for owing thousands, thousands of pounds, probably millions. But he was not prepared to forgive the one who only owed him a few pounds. There was no mercy there. No mercy at all. He'd been forgiven, but he wasn't ready to forgive. And you all know the end of the story because he was thrown into prison. Jesus was quite clear on forgiveness. We have no choice. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not. And how many times have you thought you've forgiven somebody and something's cropped up and you've had to do it all over again and you think, oh, I thought I dealt with that one. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to to go back over and hold account. And you can't rehearse the past. You can't keep going over it and over it and saying, well, that's that and that's that. They did that to me, they did that to me. But I've forgiven them. And you think, but have you actually forgiven them if you keep telling everybody what they've done? We almost need to forgive and forget. And that's a toughie, isn't it? Because there's always that, well, they've done it. And it's always there in your memory. But, you know, what God did, he forgave us. And he said, I've thrown the sins away. They're gone. He's forgiven unreservedly. And, and it's so, well, I find that one a hard one. It's a tough one for me. I know, but forgive you have to. And I have done it, and I have, I have found that I've gained the blessings because I've done it. And how many times are we judgmental? That's being unmerciful too, isn't it? You know, we, we judge people. You see something in the paper, and you see people that have committed crimes. Oh, they get what they deserve, you know, how could they? They deserve everything they've got. Yeah, they may. But have you ever stopped and thought, yeah, but, there for, but, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, I could have done that. I could have committed that crime. I could have done that. But God's grace in me has stopped me because I've, I've got the blessings of a new life. So even being judgmental can be unmerciful. So we need to think about our attitudes. Our attitudes are so important. Next one. I'm aware of time, so I'm trying to get through them quickly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, be, they will see God. I looked up these words in the PC Study Bible, and this is what I found. The pure in heart is a heart which is not contaminated. 
one that has been cleansed. Surely we're all cleansed when we accepted Jesus as Lord. However, we do need to keep our hearts pure. And how can we do that? Well, if we look at 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to keep a short account. Remember in Hebrews, it says we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. So those guilty consciences have got to go because we've been cleansed. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Our God is faithful. Isn't it wonderful? And if we go to Psalm 24, you probably all know this one. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Clean hands and a pure heart. And you stand there thinking, I don't think I'm good enough for that. I've felt like that several times. I've thought, I'm not good enough. But you know, then you go to Hebrews that we've just read. We've been washed clean, we've had our hearts sprinkled. We have been cleansed. God has cleansed us. So we are pure in heart. 